Hello world and welcome to Podcast in A Minor, where I give a home to the weird little songs I've written and use them as springboards to talk about delightful discoveries to cultivate a delighted mind. In this way, I dismantle my negative thoughts before they tower into depression. Disclaimer, I am not a mental health professional, and this podcast is not meant as treatment or cure. I also know that my brand of occasional depression might not look like your own struggles. This podcast is meant to explore the delighted mindset and reach across time and space to share human experience. Herman Melville suggested we all rub one another's shoulders as we wait for the universal thump that comes around to us all. It's like that. And now for this week's opening song. Welcome to Podcast in A Minor. I'm Amy Zollers, a poet and an artist, and I'm in one of my moods. You just heard Whiskey Cigarettes Marshmallows. And the lyrics go, Whiskey Cigarettes Marshmallows, Ginger Pie and Oat Straw Tea. The magic never came to be. I was no mezzotint beauty. I did not speak Cantonese. Squandering time in a reverie, Butterflies and oat straw tea, ginger pie and oat straw tea to soothe me. And there's a final verse coming up in a bit. Narks and larks and beaten it candy and so forth. We'll get to that. But let's look at the first line, whiskey, cigarettes, marshmallows. This comes from a still life photograph I put together one solitary artistic evening. The whiskey was in a pale blue azurite square teacup from a set I bought with little square saucers at Frisco Mercantile, an antiques shopping center in North Texas. A few years back, the cups are forever tied in my mind to Jack Kerouac because I was then immersed in an audiobook biography about him, The Voices All by Joyce Johnson. Been listening to it in the car, bought those cups, and then just kept thinking, I wonder if he ever drank out of cups like this. It's somebody's house. Or in a diner. It's hard to say. They're kind of small like teacups, but I put the whiskey in there, had marshmallows on the plate, and a cigarette on an ashtray. And that was my still life. The next line, ginger pie and oat straw tea. Recall episode 10, Waffles with Mothman. And at Bookslinger's entry in the Jeremy at Breakfast Coffee Mug giveaway. Don't panic, I won't go on and on about it this time. But briefly, to enter that 2018 random drawing, one simply had to comment, what would you eat for an ideal breakfast and with what rock star or cryptid? At Buxlinga answered, breakfast tacos and ginger pie with 70s Cat Stevens while we watched Harold and Maude and he provided the live soundtrack. Oof. On revisiting all of those glorious comments for episode 10, 
That one left me breathless, and I vowed that I knew what the next episode would be. This was meant to be that episode, but I felt somehow an obligation to Shark Week, and a run-up to Shark Week seemed more correct than a midweek interruption, since what I had to offer was music and words. Of course, not inferior to shark action, but more suitable to an intro to Shark Week. So on with the lyric, Ginger Pie and Oat Straw Tea which I swiped directly from the 1971 dark humor cult classic film Harold and Maud, in which a death-obsessed teen falls in love with a 79-year-old woman and the many joys of life are thereby revealed to him. Maud offers ginger pie and oat straw tea to Harold when he visits her home, and let's just hang out in Maud's home for a moment. Doilies, a hookah, kimonos, dancing, embroidery, truth and comfort. This could be a happy place of mine. I noticed that some heaven-sent food blogger on Pinterest created a recipe for ginger pie because of Harold and Maude. That's matthew-rally.blogspot.com. There will be a link in the show notes. And the article is titled, Ginger Pie, A Rescued Recipe. Blogger Matthew Rowley built his recipe from the ground up, referencing southern chess pie for scaffolding, and this after combing, he says, thousands of cookbooks for an existing ginger pie recipe. There was none to be found. In Rowley's words, quote, Harold and Maude once inspired me to bake a pie. If I'd known how much research eventually would be involved in making the simple dessert, I'd have said to hell with it. The perseverance paid off, end quote. Rally's recipe involves minced young ginger, Harold, aged rum, Maud, sugar, butter, salt, eggs, a small amount of flour to thicken it, heavy cream, vanilla, and lemon zest. And I will include that recipe, as I said, as a link in the show notes. Unable to locate such a recipe in the old cookbooks, Rally zeroed in on Maud for inspiration. Quote, her eccentric nuts-to-tradition take on life is a big part of the film's appeal. During a memorial mass, she pss Harold's attention with sibilantly inappropriate offers of licorice. Rally goes on to catalog Maud's simple joys in life. Somersaults, wild daisies, raucous songs, seagulls, and spontaneous Grand Theft Auto. In the process of creating this ginger and rum custard pie recipe, Rally began to understand that it wasn't a lost recipe from the olden days, and he says, it was far more than that. By offering a slice, Maud extends not only hospitality, but a slyly camouflaged offer of herself and Harold's first hints of escape from his doleful life. With the point of that pie, she wedges open Harold's somber soul and floods it with bracing warmth and sweetness, the distillate of her own fading fire and spice. That is just so well said, and Harold does find joy and inspiration to play a banjo and do cartwheels, and he decides he wants to marry Maud, who is 59 years his senior. Well, I haven't tried out this pie yet, but I think I will once the weather cools down. Ginger warms the body, soothes digestion, obliterates nausea, and aids in heart health. Oat straw tea, on the other hand, I've enjoyed frequently. According to New Morning Natural Foods, oat straw tea strengthens bones, soothes the nervous system, stabilizes blood sugar, 
relieves depression by nourishing the pancreas, liver, and adrenals, and keeps your teeth strong. I keep dried oat straw in a jar on its own, and also in a jar with dried nettles and dried elderberries, which add allergy relief and immune system boost. The tea with the elderberries and the nettles is a breathtaking shade of deep purple and tastes marvelous. Hippie heaven. And that's the first two lines of the song. Don't worry, the second verse is largely an echo and won't take long. But to continue with verse one, the magic never came to be. Ever feel that way? Like the universe promised you a magical existence through movies, songs, and magazines, and now, God help us, a deluge of social media and internet information? My daily Google experience. Say, are you an artist? Check out these stunning artists, all of whom make your work look like absolute trash, all of whom blaze glorious and galleries and fabulousness the world over. Don't you feel stupid now? I feel like as long as I'm creating and taking in inspiration deliberately, instead of being whomped in the face with it at every turn, then I am a productive artist, less touched by imposter syndrome. But when I can't stop scrolling, as though looking for punishment, nay, hunting it down with hounds and lanterns, that is when the dread doom closes in on me and I forget who I am. And an overload of other people's genius. Quote from J.D. Salinger, I'm sick of not having the courage to be an absolute nobody. Preach it, brother. Another quote from his novel, A Catcher in the Rye, the movies will ruin ya. Amen. And so forth. What would happen if I found my place in the world? Would I miss out on so much joy and inspiration and the looking and scrolling? Would I be pleasant and content? My head in the garden, my hands in the clay, closer to God, less doomed? What would happen if I stopped scrolling? If you stopped scrolling, would we find the kind of community I read about in the pages of Missouri Ghosts in which Joan Gilbert paints the most idyllic neighborhood of pear trees and lilacs and honest-to-God neighbors trading tales of their ghostly encounters in the early part of the 20th century? Maybe we'd bake a ginger pie, and maybe that would lead to just such a paradise? Yes, yes, media ruining me again. I'm doomed. That sums up that line. And onward. I was no mezzotint beauty. I did not speak Cantonese. What is a mezzotint anyhow? I first heard the word in the title of the M.R. James ghost story, The Mezzotint, in which a work of art keeps changing every time the characters look at it. Yes, exactly like in that creepy episode of Rod Serling's Night Gallery. And what is a mezzotint? It's a monochrome printmaking process, the first to result in halftones instead of just black and white or whatever color and white. It also refers to the prints themselves. The mezzotint process originated in 18th century England and employs a toothy metal tool called a rocker, which roughens a metal plate in order to provide the halftones. It is an intaglio process, the opposite of relief printing. In relief printing, the inked areas are raised up above the surface, and in intaglio, the sunken areas hold the ink, and the other surfaces are wiped clean before printmaking. And I thank Wikipedia for all of this information. Mezzotint fell out of popularity around the mid-19th century, when easier methods came along, such as lithography. Lithography. I loved the word mezzotint immediately. Italian, infrequently heard nowadays, contains 
mezzo or middle, which is often used in musical terms such as mezzo forte, meaning medium loud, or mezzo soprano, referring to a singer's vocal range more in the middle than up in the rafters. I loved that it was a title of a ghost story. A mind picture arose, a hazy, ghostly portrait of a mezzo-soprano made with bygone technology. Not entirely bygone, as M.C. Escher made some mezzotints, as have others in the 20th century and probably the 21st as well. I haven't done so, and I call myself an artist. Close parentheses. This is the magic I chase. And what is crucial about speaking Cantonese? In my case, it isn't crucial, but a symbol of sparkle and success. I've never tried to learn Cantonese, and yet, if I spoke it, wouldn't I really be somebody by now? And what is it to be somebody? What do I think I'm missing out on? I speak a little German and Romanian. Why isn't that enough? Friggin' artistic temperament. Face in the garden, hands in the clay, long gray hair streaming. This is my goal. I need to go embroider it on a pillow. Quote from an Icelandic philosopher in Geography of Bliss by Eric Weiner in answer to the question, are you happy? Yes, but I cherish my melancholia. I did, in fact, embroider that on a pillow a few years back, but then we moved and I've misplaced it or given it away. Keep overthinking. You'll get there. That is from a collage I did, and it appears in my latest poetry collection, Electrified Corset, which really is a romp through the angst and probably makes a fantastic companion piece to this episode. See author link. Verse two, as aforestated, is mostly an echo of the first. Squandering time in a reverie. Look, I just did that, exactly that, right before this. Some reveries, of course, are more fun than others, but let me point out that the Japanese have a word, boketo, which means sitting and staring, with or without thought. This behavior is allowed, and concerning acts of art, this behavior is necessary, I think. Narks and larks and picnic candy, dreams of stormy poetry, the glimmer train never stopped for me. I was no daguerreotype cutie, I did not play tambourine. And that was verse three of Whiskey, Cigarettes, Marshmallows. And so let's go through the lyrics. Narks and larks and beaten at candy. This is a case of, let's call it, Michael Stipe syndrome, lead singer of R.E.M. I'm told that his songwriting method sometimes involved piling on words he liked the sound of. That is my best explanation for this line. Although I do recall in my Tumblr days reading scanned magazine articles about 1960s British invasion groups, referred to in Britain then as beet groups. There was indeed an ad for beet mint chewing gum, which I've never forgotten, and this gum does appear in my secret novel, Bathtub Absinthe, Chapter 11, The Scotland Mishap. It's about a terrible storm and miscommunication, which leads us seamlessly to the lyric, Reams of Stormy Poetry. Yes, exactly. That is the current state of my basement. And on to, the glimmer train never stopped for me. Let's talk glimmer train. Glimmer train was a literary magazine until 2019. Their closing statement, hello and welcome. Glitter train is, after nearly three decades, pulling out of the station for good. So many stories we've read since we started in 1990. 
A person might think they'd begin to seem all the same, but that's never happened. Without fail, your stories have moved, surprised, and changed us. It's been a great honor to read your work. And they go on to say how they've been around for 29 years and closed submissions May of 2019 and operations December of the same year. Every submission in every category has always been read by us, and we never stopped reading for a competition just because we'd found a good story. And writers were paid generously from Glimmer Train for accepted stories, $700 to $3,000, and were paid upon acceptance. So Glimmer Train entered my song a couple of years after its ending because of their kindness to me. During a difficult chapter in my life, I submitted a few poems and stories around, and they were roundly refused. I didn't really have the strong emotional scaffolding at that time to weather repeated rejection, but it sure can be part of the writing life. And it wasn't the first time I was rejected. It was just a difficult time to be rejected in my life. Glimmer Train also passed on my work, but in the coolest possible way. They sent an email saying they couldn't use it right now, but they really found it interesting and asked me to please submit again in the future. I didn't. I received that email two or three years before they closed down, but that email meant a lot to me. It gave me what I needed at the time, a feeling of visibility. I had felt invisible for years for one reason and another, and though I did shift my focus then to educating my child in his time of difficulty, I still wrote poetry in private and incorporated it in teaching my son. The piece that Glimmer Train apologetically rejected was a poem-infused story called Spasms Catalogued. It's one of those works that just fell together after a few days of thinking about certain things. An episode of The Twilight Zone, Flapper Deaths, My Shattered Emotions, Favorite Poetry Forms, Things I Would Want in a Madhouse. It is also the final piece in my poetry collection, Ordeal in French Lipstick, available now on Amazon. Author, link in the show notes. I mean, what an exquisite weekend of reading you could have. But I will now take a poetry break slash fiction break and read an excerpt from Spasms Cataloged in Ordeal and French Lipstick. I was difficult. I lost my head over a bag of chocolate chips. Having specifically messaged him semi-sweet chocolate chips, he came home with milk chocolate chips, and I'm telling you, I blew my wig because I had worked hard to revamp my palate, stealing myself against the power of the chocolate chip cookie and the compulsion to eat a dozen at once. And I was quite looking forward to the baking and the brewing of coffee and eating just two. But milk chocolate chips are out of the question in these circumstances. Nobody could understand why. What's the difference, they shrugged as I climbed backwards up the walls. The difference is, you're ludicrous. Baking is not a haphazard thing. Baking won't stand for haphazard. Balance and counterpoint have to go on. An amount of sugar is necessary to keep traditional cookies structurally sound, and the slight bitterness of semi-sweet chocolate strikes a calculated and majestic harmony with that sugar. Crap! What is this? Free jazz? Are we Italian? Only Italians and Mrs. Fields, who might be Italian, understand the mysteries of a parallel universe in which milk chocolate chip cookies make sense. Ugh. Being Polish myself, I stormed into the bathroom and chopped my hair short. I wanted to look like Clara Bow, fluffy, disheveled Clara, 1922 to 29, but it didn't work because cancer surgery and childbearing had changed the scheme of my hair years ago. In the end, I looked like Weird Liz, who wrote Hakus in that 1950s teen novel. 
Even so, a mess of jeweled hair clips from the drugstore made it right. Reeling now with Benedictine and creeping to the brandy, jewels make January sing and keep your cocktails handy. Then I hopped on a plane to Tacoma, Washington to receive my comeuppance. Thank you for indulging me in that excerpt of Spasms cataloged. Found an ordeal in French lipstick, and that was in no way a crack against Italian people. It's only that I'd had milk chocolate chip cookies in an Italian restaurant once, and I didn't realize they were milk chocolate, and that's only a personal opinion based on true experience. I found them just too sweet, and that blew my mind because I've never found anything too sweet before that moment. And and, and I want to point out that I'm 25% Polish and lived through the 80s, the 1980s being 25% Polish, and it was not a friendly time for Polish people. Lots of Polish, Polak jokes, quote-unquote. And um, so I want you to know I'm sensitive about such things. It's just that I noted this phenomenon in an Italian restaurant. Thank you. Let's return to the lyrics. Next line was, I was no daguerreotype cutie. That's just an echo of verse one's mezzotint beauty. Life in a culture that depends upon our insecurities to sell us perfumed toiletries and keto bars and Spanx undergarments. But let's examine the word daguerreotype. Daguerreotype was the first publicly available process of photography, invented by French artist and photographer Louis Daguerre, and introduced to the world in 1839. It was the photographic process to use until 1860, when other processes came along, such as the ambrotype, less expensive and quicker. The daguerreotype uses silver-plated copper shined to a mirror finish, and from this point I'll just read from Wikipedia for a while, Quote, treated with fumes that made its surface light-sensitive, exposed it in a camera for as long as was judged to be necessary, which could be as little as a few seconds for brightly sunlit subjects, or much longer, with less intense lighting, end quote. Then you fume it with mercury vapors to make the image visible, rinse it, dry it, seal it. Quote, the easily marred result behind glass in a protective enclosure, Wikipedia. So it's an early method of publicly used photography, but also important. The various social media accounts using some variation of the name My Daguerreotype Boyfriend. Anyone else moderately addicted? Experts would point out that some of these supposed daguerreotypes in My Daguerreotype Boyfriend are actually ambrotypes or tintypes or even just vintage photo prints. But this detail is perhaps of little concern to non-experts more focused on our daguerreotype boyfriends. I did not play tambourine. Well, that's just a lie. I do play tambourine. Well, sort of. Not professionally, but in my way. Where I sit right now, I can see two tambourines and a foot tambourine and a vibraslap hanging on the wall. That jingle for Third Sunday Poetry on Instagram begins and ends with a vibra slap. You know that sound from suspenseful detective shows of the 20th century? If you didn't know the name of the instrument before, it's my oh, gift to you. Let's go. The tambourine line simply asserted itself as an echo of the line in the first verse, I did not speak Cantonese, as a way of bringing the glitter and glamour a task supposedly failed by the singer of the song. 
just the mood of a moment. We all bring the glitter in one way or another. I wrote the first verse in a mood. The third verse was written in one of my song-expanding processes, fooling around with the words, following variations and slant rhymes, a thing my brain does while washing dishes. I also enjoy the tambourine artist as a character. What brought them to this career? Is it just something to do with your hands while singing lead or backup, Liam Gallagher? I'm appraising you with admiration. Is it a way to be part of your friend's musical group when you can't afford a large stringed or electronic instrument or a set of drums? Are you on stage with this group to lend your vibe of effortless cool, making the band cooler by association? Are you modeling the work of a budding fashion designer, helping with exposure on the platform that you have? How nice of you. Perhaps you just love the music scene. Maybe your moves are perfect for firing up a crowd. The more the merrier. But make no mistake, a tambourine brings that essential something to many songs. Search on YouTube, Shimmer on 3. Listen to Valerie by the Monkees. That's just off the top of my head, of course. Send your favorite tambourine moments to podcastaminor at gmail.com or direct message to Instagram at podcast.in.a.minor. That's the song, Whiskey, Cigarettes, Marshmallows. Thank you for being here. All songs written and performed by Amy Zollers. See you next time. Must I, must I, the Encyclopedia Neurotica, it's my role in the plan. I must, and I must, and I must.